Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and a lot to get to today. A pretty stacked show, uh, at least by our standards. We've got interviews with uh, UFC President Dana White, Tyron Woodley, Gilbert Burns, so the headliners for this weekend's event, and, of course, Dana White. So we're very excited uh, about this particular show, but, you know, I'm always excited about these shows. We get to talk MMA, which is uh, the most entertaining sport in the world, in my opinion. And if you're listening to the show, I uh, imagine you share a similar opinion. But uh, we've got... Uh, fight cards coming up basically through uh, the end of June. The first weekend off is going to be July 4th. And then from there, it looks like the UFC is just going to continue going full tilt. Uh, in the interview with Dana White, you'll hear later on, he mentions that the schedule is basically booked through July 18th already. Like they've already got everything, you know, tentatively booked, at least what they're hoping to do by then, which is uh, is, is interesting. I think that uh, we might end up seeing... International Fight Week on International Waters in Fight Island, although that decision, according to Dana White, has not been made yet. But uh, a lot to discuss. You know, the big story, at least one of the big stories this week, there's several big stories this week. There's the uh, the John Jones uh, situation, which we touched on in the last podcast quite a bit. But uh, I think the big story this week is Colby Covington announcing that he has left American Top Team. And uh, he did a, a slew of interviews with uh, Ariel Hawani, um, James Lynch did one with uh, MMA Fighting. I think he might have done one with MMA Junkie also. Um, I reached out to Colby and said, uh, "Let's chat sometime in the future. You've done a lot of media already, so we'll we'll talk we'll talk another time. And maybe after the T Wood fight, we you might have something to say um, next week. But uh, you know, we don't need to oversaturate the market with Colby Covington content. It's a lot of C's right there. That's the triple C Colby Covington content. Triple C showing up on uh, AEW Wrestling." alongside Vitor Belfort and Rashad Evans in the corner of Mike Tyson. Pretty crazy. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Let's talk about Colby Covington deciding that he is going to leave American Top Team. And uh, from my conversation with Gilbert Burns, another interview here a little bit later on, Burns said that it was kind of common knowledge among those who trained in Florida, uh, in South Florida. He says that you know people talk in South Florida and everybody kind of knows everything that's going on. And there had been talk that Covington had been training his grappling at MMA Masters, which is a gym in Miami as of late. It's uh, a gym that doesn't have a ton of uh, UFC talent, but does have Miguel Baeza, who uh, had a nice win over Matt Brown recently. But I I actually think this is the right decision for Colby Covington. You know, a lot of people say you you don't want to leave a top-class gym like American Top Team, and uh, I think that there's a lot of validity to that argument. But if you want to compete with a clear head and you want to train properly and you want to have the best possible situation going into a fight, you want to have as little on your mind as possible. You know, Tyron Woodley has talked about this this week where going to that last fight against Usman, he just had so much going on. It was hard for him to remain focused. So if you're going into American Top Team and you're training and you're worried about having to get into confrontations with, you know, verbal altercations with Jorge Masvidal, with Ioana Janjacek, with uh, Dustin Poirier, with any manner of individuals that train at ATT with you, and you're going to be looking over your shoulder, you're not going to be fully focused, fully dialed in on your training. And I think that, you know, Covington had a good coaching team. He had uh, Conan Silvera, one of the best coaches, in my opinion, one of the most underrated coaches in MMA, Conan Silvera. I think the work that he's done with Amanda Nunes has been uh, what's gotten her to the next level. He just has a real understanding of her, a really sharp uh, ability to game plan, uh, something that people don't really talk about 
when you, especially even with ATT, people talk a lot about, you know, Dean Thomas, who's also since recently departed from uh, ATT. People talk about um, Mike Brown. The, the, I think that Conan Silvera is one of the underrated coaches in MMA. Um, and again, I think the uh, the strategizing, especially when you look at that second fight with Shevchenko that Nunes had, I thought that there was just a brilliant strategy going into that. Um, and I think that he has a really good, you know, Nunes does a really good job of listening to Silvera, and she also has a really good job of changing the game plan if she sees openings, if she sees holes, and she's she's able to really um, navigate that terrain. But uh, Covington was working under Conan Silvera, and I think now he's. Uh, going to be moving into a different situation. He wouldn't reveal where he's going to be training, who he's going to be training with, who his coaches are going to be. But he said that it's now Colby Covington, Inc. And if there's an issue with Colby Covington, you go directly to Colby Covington. You don't go to Dan Lambert. You don't go over his head. There's not going to be anybody above him for people to go to if there's an issue. And uh, I think that when when you're trying to elevate your game, you're trying to evolve, it's hard to do that when you're constantly worried and looking over your shoulder and and not and uncertain about your situation, and this is something that he completely did to himself. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to exonerate Colby Covington in terms of how he got into the situation in the first place. I think it's very clear how he got into the situation in the first place, and uh, I think that he took the gimmick and he rode with it and he rode with it. Um, he wouldn't he wouldn't abandon it under any circumstances, and he just it became part of who he was. It became how he wanted to present himself uh, publicly. And as a result of that, there were there was collateral damage, and a lot of that collateral damage were his teammates, Tyron Woodley, Masvidal, Joanna Jacek, Dustin Poirier, uh, even Amanda Nunes at times when he was talking about women's MMA. You know, th- this was something that he created. But as a result of that, it manifested into something that became an un- untenable situation for him in terms of training, in terms of his focus, and in order for him to refocus, I think this is a good move because now you'll be able to train with a clear head where you're the guy. You're, you're the, the, the focal point of the camps. And he'll learn a lot. He'll, he'll glean a lot of knowledge. He's bringing in a lot of wrestlers. He's funding his own camps. He's really working to polish his game differently now. And I think that with him doing that, you're going to see – new wrinkles to his game that you probably otherwise haven't seen. You're going to see new looks. You're going to see new coaching. It could work for him. It might not. But I think that in terms of his preparation, this is going to be something that will be for the best. This is going to be something that will help his evolution. He's still a a fairly young guy, if I'm not mistaken. Let's take a look. I'm going to just see how old he is. I think he's in his early 30s. Yeah, 32 years of age this year. So he's still like basically in his prime right now. And he is championship material. You know, there's no doubt about it. If you watch that fight with Usman, he was going to lose that fight if it went to the cards. You know, he can talk as much as he wants about being robbed uh, by Mark Goddard. And, you know, there were some suspicious penalties and uh, stoppages during that fight, timeout stoppages during that fight that you could argue. But by saying that he stopped the fight prematurely and that he was on the verge of winning that fight, I don't think that that's true if you look at what the scorecards were going into that fifth round. It's, you know, it's it's not to say that perhaps he, he should have gotten the, you know, the, the, the scorecard. That was a very close fight, undoubtedly. But I think that when you look at the evidence that we have that he was on the verge of losing that fight, whether, he, whether God had stopped it or not, he would have lost it on the, the scorecards. So... 
let's uh, let's move beyond that. But you know, just looking at that particular fight, you, you can certainly say that Colby Covington was is championship material. He's a guy that is, I think, the the clear clear number two or three guy in that division, and um, possibly even the number one guy behind the champion. Um, so when I say number two or three, I mean like he, he, you know, behind Kamaru Usman, he's one of the best guys. And that's a stacked division right now. There's a lot of uh, things going on at the top of that division. And Covington has now made it clear that he wants to face only Jorge Masvidal or Usman next. Whether or not that happens, who knows. But uh, I think that Covington has put himself in this position. And as a result of that, he had to make a difficult decision. And I think Dan Lambert, I think that this wasn't just Covington leaving. I think that when Dan Lambert said, we're instituting a new policy where you can't talk about your teammates, you can't speak negatively about them, that Covington, you know, essentially disregarded that. You know, he, he was so involved in that gimmickry that he uh, basically kept sticking with that gimmick in his interviews and wouldn't abandon it even though he was asked politely to do so. And it looks like a pretty friendly split from Dan Lambert. It looks like they're still on good speaking terms. But uh, unfortunately for Colby Covington, it became a situation that could no longer be managed by Dan Lambert and he had to, both both parties needed to make a decision. So uh, we'll see how this impacts Colby Covington's future. A big event coming up this weekend, Tyron Woodley, Gilbert Burns. It's going to say a lot about where Tyron Woodley is at at this stage in his career. 38 years old, has relied a lot on his athleticism, his power, his ability to take strikes. You know, this isn't an easy guy to finish. The only guy that has finished him, uh, as far as I can recall, is Nate Marquardt back in uh, the Strike Force days. Not an easy out. It's going to be five rounds, something that Gilbert Burns isn't really accustomed to something that Tyron Woodley has experienced. So a lot of advantages for Tyron Woodley going into this particular fight. But judging by what we see from Gilbert Burns of late, he's he's a real up-and-comer in the division. Another guy that's uh, in his prime right now where a lot of people could argue that at age 38, it's difficult to consider yourself to be a prime athlete at that age. But uh, Woodley says that he's made changes. He's gotten rid of a lot of the distractions that he has. Uh, or that he had going into that Usman fight. He's focused on fighting. He moved to Thailand for some time to focus on fighting. He's been in Atlanta training at ATT in Atlanta. Of course, training with Dean Thomas in uh, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. So, or sorry, in uh, probably in St. Louis, actually, in, in Missouri, not, not Wisconsin. I don't know how much he's been at Rufus Sport for this camp. But, um, yeah, Woodley is uh, certainly refocused, and we'll see if a refocused Woodley is enough to beat a Gilbert Burns. I, you know, looking at the odds for this fight, Woodley was about a two to one favorite. Now it's down to minus one sixty five for Woodley, plus one fifty five for Burns. That's probably around where it should be. Um, I think that if you were gonna, if you like Woodley in this fight, that's that's a number that you would be comfortable putting um, money down on Woodley as is about minus one sixty five. I think that if you look at the resumes, Woodley's fought a higher caliber of talent. Woodley has beaten some of the best fighters. You can't say the same for Burns. So I think that that price is probably around where it should be. But with the ascension of Burns in a smaller cage, more athleticism, uh, more speed, rather. I wouldn't say athletic, raw athleticism, but more speed for Burns coming up from lightweight. 
I think that the, the small cage also benefits Burns. But it also, you know, to an extent for Woodley to land that power, you're not going to give Burns a lot of places to go in that situation. You'll be able to cut off the corners and be able to land that power. So, you know, it's not a, a one-way advantage for Gilbert Burns. Woodley certainly has advantages in this situation. And uh, whether or not Woodley tries to implement a, a grappling game plan against somebody with the, the jujitsu credentials of a Gilbert Burns, I think, will, will remain to be seen. I think that this fight will mostly be contested on the feet. But uh, a very, very interesting matchup for your main event tomorrow night. UFC on ESPN at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Speaking of which, the commission, Nevada State Athletic Commission, has approved the UFC to do their next two events at the Apex, and then they're going to see how those go and go from there. I would not be surprised if we see the Apex as the U.S. headquarters for the UFC going forward. Uh, Obviously, it's lower costs. It's more control. I think it's the perfect situation for the UFC and also for the fighters. I think you're going to see a different look for the fighters when they are um, competing in this kind of environment. I think it's an environment that's more conducive to, safe, to fighter safety and uh, a, a higher comfort level for the fighters and for UFC staff that are on hand facilitating these events. The one thing I really wish they'd put put on, though, is uh, they need to get a, a satellite shot box going there. I think that they've been working on building that. But that's more of a logistic issue that we can uh, we can discuss for another day. It would be nice to, after the fights, you get the fighters to sit down in a chair and you have like a really clean feed. But maybe they're working on that. Who knows? I'm sure that this, this facility is state-of-the-art, and I'm sure they have the capacity to do that or are working on the capacity to do that as well. On top, you know, that Burns and Woodley fight, while great, the rest of the card, I think, has a lot of good competitive fights, but not a ton of name value, not a lot of name recognition. That being said, Woodley has not fought on television much, so I think that tuning in to see Tyron Woodley, especially with the him on in the Titan Games right now, I think that's what it's called, is on the ABC. I think that uh, that can only play into the favor of uh, the UFC when you're promoting this fight. When you have somebody who has um, appeal outside of mixed martial arts, who's been in movies, who's acted, who's you know involved in in music, maybe you'll have people tuning in that would wouldn't. Uh, otherwise, because they know of Tyron Woodley from outside ventures. But uh, I think that you know Dana White wants to see what happens on Saturday before he decides on what's next for the uh, the welterweight division. I think that's a good measured approach. I think you want to see where Burns and Woodley are at before you make decisions on the, the matchmaking in that particular division. And uh, Jorge Masvidal hasn't done a lot of interviews. Did one this week with Ariel Hawani and is saying that... Usman's asking for way too much money, and that's why the fight that was slated to take place according to rumors in July looks like it's uh, hanging on by a thread right now. Some fights uh, that have been slipping through the cracks. Darren Till versus Robert Whitaker. Apparently verbal agreements in place per combatch for that fight to take place on July the 25th. The rematch between Jessica Andrade and... Uh, Rosnama Yunus has apparently also been rescheduled for the month of July. I think it's July 11th was the date they were targeting for that one. We have uh, a lot of different bouts that are uh, in the works. Jose Aldo versus uh, Piotr Jan uh, per Dana White in the works as well for the the vacant bantamweight championship. And that fight would take place on Fight Island likely sometime in July as well. So uh, a lot of different matchups in the works that are very exciting for the summer. And I think the the bigger matchups, the UFC are sitting on those right now and that those will be announced. Dana White says that uh, in the summer you're going to see a lot of interesting matchups in the works. 
And uh, I, th- I think that you have to be excited if you're a UFC fan right now. There's a lot, a lot to like about what's coming up for the UFC. And Conor McGregor, his future is kind of, uh, it's kind of uncertain. You know, they don't really know where they want to go with him. And I think that we're going to see what happens with uh, those particular bouts as well. Uh, some other matchups: uh, Shamil Abdurrahimov taking on Cyril Gane. That's uh, been rebooked for July 11th. Frankie Edgar finally making his bantamweight debut against Pedro Munoz. July 11th is the reported date for that as well. We're seeing Courtney Casey return to the octagon uh, in the flyweight division. That'll be uh, an interesting one as well. That is uh, rumored to take place July the 13th against Jill- uh, Gillian Robertson. I don't know if it's Gillian or Jillian. I think it's pronounced Gillian. So we've got a lot to uh, look forward to in the UFC. But uh, I was uh, I was going to throw to the interview with Dana White because I think it's uh, always great to catch up with the UFC president to talk about all that is going on in the UFC right now. Uh, a lot to discuss, and uh, this is a pretty wide-ranging interview. And uh, if you're listening to it on the TSN MMA show, you'll be hearing it in its. Uh, you'll be listening to the full interview, really, for the first time, most likely. I don't think it's been posted as of yet. So uh, a sneak peek at the complete interview with uh, UFC President Dana White that I conducted yesterday. Here he is on the TSN MMA show as UFC President Dana White. Pleased to be joined now by UFC President Dana White, where all the magic happens, the UFC war room. And could some magic happen regarding Anderson Silva? He went on Instagram and called out Conor McGregor, says he wants to face him 176.37 pounds. And Conor McGregor says he agrees. He'd love to do it. Now, these are two of the best talents of their respective generations. Doesn't really make a lot of sense from a weight class perspective, but people would love to watch this. How about you, Dana White? What's your level of interest? Yeah, it's not a, it's not a fight that I'm interested in right now. Listen, everybody's in quarantine, right? Everybody's in quarantine. They, 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 they can't go to the gym. They can't go to restaurants. They can't go to the movies. They can't hang out with their friends. So they sit on these stupid things all day, you know. And uh, we're, we're back. We need to pull off these two fights in Vegas and then get our schedule going again and get these guys fighting um, and get them off their cell phones. Well, if it's not going to be Anderson for Conor McGregor, how about I throw some other names at you? You can give me a number from 1 to 10 on your level of interest. Let's start with Kamaru Usman. I'm, I'm not interested in anybody right now for Connor. Connor, I think what, what works for Connor right now is for him to sit back and relax. Let this thing, like I said, after June 6th, as of right now, I got to pull off Saturday and I got to pull off June 6th. And our schedule's back on. We're back on track with our schedule. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get fights cranking, man. We'll be rolling. Some things will start playing out, and then Connor can make some decisions on what he wants to do next. Now, one fight that looks like we're not going to be seeing anytime soon is between John Jones and Francis Ngannou. You spoke to John Anik. You said the fans want to see this fight. These guys are talking a lot of smack back and forth, but you don't think this fight's going to happen. What's the hang-up in terms of making this fight work? Yeah, John came out and said it. It's about money. You know, the, 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 you know it's one thing to say, hey, listen, I want to fight this guy. John Jones just, had, just signed a new deal. Um, you know, and it'd be one thing if John Jones came out and said, ah, this, you know, I, I want some more money. The absurd amount of money he's asking for isn't going to happen, especially right now in these times. You guys did three events in Jacksonville, very successful. Uh, 
you called the events a home run. The one question I have about those events in Jacksonville was Jacques Array. He comes in, he admits that he w was uh, in contact with somebody who had COVID-19. Why not pull him off the card right there and then instead of waiting for the test results to come back and have him weigh in? Because we didn't, we, we didn't, we waited for the test results. So you, the reason I ask is because you could have taken the precaution of just saying, listen, we don't want to uh, put want others to. at risk. I'll do, I'll do what I want to do. I didn't want to. I wanted to wait for the test to come in. The one guy who doesn't have much to say is actually the number one ranked guy at welterweight. He's fighting this weekend. It's Tyron Woodley. He's facing Gilbert Burns. What do you need to see out of Tyron Woodley to get him back into the title picture to try to get a crack at winning his belt back? Yeah, I mean, obviously, first of all, winning is important. You got you to win the fight this Saturday. Um, and then, I don't know, you know, a lot of other things come into play over who's going to fight next, especially right now with what's going on here right now, you know? Got to win first. Here with UFC President Dana White, UFC 250. It's June the 6th. It's headlined by a Canadian not named George St. Pierre. Felicia Spencer challenging for the women's featherweight title. What do you think it means to Canada and to the UFC to have a Canadian in the main event? So, listen, Canada has been a hotbed for this sport for a long time. We've had a lot of fun in Canada, a lot of great shows up there uh, in all the major cities. And, uh, you know, the, the, the GSP era w was unbelievable and, and really fun. So to have somebody, you know, uh, super talented in a title fight again for, for the country of Canada, it's awesome. Now, we haven't seen Amanda Nunes in any real trouble in quite some time since she lost to Kat Zangano. But Kat Zangano was a, a very strong grappler, and Felicia Spencer, also a very strong grappler. She's had a lot of success against striking-based fighters, but with Felicia Spencer, do you see some areas where Spencer will give her some difficulty? Yeah, I mean, I, I truly believe that, that uh, you know, that she's the GOAT. She's the, she's the best ever. Um, Amanda Nunes has, has beat every big name in the sport some more than once. And, um, you know, I, a lot of people feel like she looked human in her last fight, but, you know, she's fighting one of the, you know, and Jermaine Durand, one of the greatest female strikers ever. And, um, you know, she, she, she won the fight. So uh, we'll see if she looks, if she looks like, if she's still on top and she's still in, in, in form, you know, Felicia Spencer is going to have a tough time, but any anything is possible, and anybody can can win on any given night. Her resume is so staggering. She's beaten the best flyweight ever in Valentina Shevchenko twice. She's beaten Ronda Rousey, who at the time was the best 35er, and Chris Cyborg, who at the time was the best 45er. The one thing she hasn't done is defend the women's featherweight title. After she does this, what left is there for Amanda Nunes to do? And think about this. If you think about how feared Cyborg was and all that other stuff, she didn't beat Cyborg. She knocked Cyborg unconscious. She knocked her out. Um, you know, uh, the thing, when you get to the level of Amanda Nunes, as great as she is, what starts to happen is Anderson Silva went through this too. John Jones went through it. It happens to all the greats. You start to get to the point where people are like, oh, there's no more challenges for her. There's no more this. It's not true. The challenge is to, to, to stay on top when other people are saying you have no more challenges. You know, because th these young up-and-coming kids are getting better every day. She's not getting younger every day. So you have to stay on top of your game and you have to keep winning. And what she has to do is she has to break records that are almost impossible for other people to break. 
How soon do you think it will be before we start seeing fans actually attend sporting events again? And how do you think that will look when that does happen? That's such a tough question because I, I really don't know how this all is going to play out and what the future is going to be. But I promised you and I told you that we would be the first sport back, and we were. And I promise you, and I'll tell you this, we'll be the first sport back with fans, too. That was UFC President Dana White. A lot to unpack from that interview. Uh, it looks like Fight Island is going to be a go. Dana White's going to move there as of July 11th. It looks like that's going to be the first date for Fight Island. He's going to uh, celebrate July 4th at his, uh, I guess, summer home in Maine, which he does every year, and then head out to Fight Island for uh, what appears to be a plethora of, uh, of fights coming your way this summer from Fight Island and uh, perhaps also from the UFC Apex. A lot of that is still TBD. Dana White also talked about the uh, situation with John Jones. Francis Ngannou says that uh, John Jones is asking for an absurd amount of money, and John Jones has since come out on social media saying that that's just absolutely not true, that no numbers were actually discussed. So a bit of a disconnect there in terms of uh, that poten potential matchup with Francis Ngannou, one that I think everybody would really love to see. So maybe some numbers will be tossed around that are amicable on both sides, or amenable, rather, on both sides. We talked about uh, Tyron Woodley and uh, what Dana White is hoping to see from Tyron Woodley if he wants to get back into the title picture. He's also excited about the potential of Gilbert Burns uh, entering the title picture as well. Says that there's a lot of drama going on in the welterweight division, a lot of he said, she said. So uh, that's going to be cleared up soon. It's got to be. This division has to move. And it uh, looks like Usman is ready to go. Masvidal is ready to go. Gilbert Burns seems always ready to go. If Woodley gets another opportunity, I'm sure he'll be ready to go. Colby Covington, according to Gilbert Burns uh, in the interview that you'll be hearing soon, is uh, apparently nursing a hand injury. That hasn't really been confirmed, but that's what uh, what Burns says is going on with Colby Covington and has uh, prevented him from stepping into the uh, the cage. We touched on the Andrew Silver, Anderson Silva uh, Anderson Silva saying that he wants to fight Conor McGregor at 176.37 pounds. Where he get that number, I have no idea. Is that like is that halfway between 85 and 170? Who knows? But uh, Conor McGregor wants to do it. One person that does not want to do it is Dana White. I think that's a fight everybody would love to see. I just don't see it as making a lot of sense in terms of, you know, if you want to really position Conor McGregor as being a true contender at 170 or 155, a nonsense fight with, with Anderson Silva, as fun of a kind of exhibition fight as that would be to put on, and as, as well as that would do it uh, in terms of uh, pay-per-view buys, it just does not move Conor McGregor in the direction of title contention. A win over an older Anderson Silva just doesn't do that. I was interested that the, the line for this fight opened up and that Silva was the favorite, according to Bovada. But a lot of these books put these lines out for publicity. You know, Bovada put out a line today about who would win in a boxing match between Eddie Hearn and Dana White. That's just something that would never happen. Like, So you're just doing that, frankly, for publicity. So maybe putting Anderson Silva as a favorite is a way of getting people talking about the fact that your sports book is making lines for a, a fight that uh, is likely not going to happen. And you put these lines out, minus 275, for the fight not happening in 2020 for people to bet. You know, I think you, you're limited to betting $50 on it. You're basically getting to hold people's money until the end of the year. <laughs> For what I think is a relatively safe bet if you want to bet on it, but you, you really want to wait for whatever, a $20 return, you'll sit on your money at, until, until the end of the year. 
mean, I mean, it's not a terrible investment. It's a good return on investment if you're looking at it from a banking standpoint. Like if you were to put fifty dollars in in like a a low interest banking account, you're not going to get back whatever it is, fifteen twenty dollars at the end of the year. So if you're okay in like low interest, like low low amount of money interest propositions, sure, maybe maybe you'll want to do that. But I think mostly these books put these these numbers out as a, a way of making profit. Anyhow, let's go to our main event for uh, UFC Fight Night this weekend. We'll play back-to-back interviews with uh, Tyron Woodley, the chosen one, and Dorino Gilbert Burns, and that comes at you right now on the TSN MMA Show. I'm now joined by the chosen one, Tyron Woodley, who's in Las Vegas, Nevada, taking on Gilbert Burns this weekend in the main event. Gilbert is an interesting opponent for you, a very risky opponent, uh, because I think the expectation, frankly, Tyron, is that you're going to win this fight. I don't really feel like that. I feel like, you know, he's just had like a five-fight win streak, beat a, um, a top-five welterweight, got power and great submission, strong and, and aggressive. So um, I don't really see it the way I see it is all the welterweights in the top-five are all risky opponents, and uh, he just provi- he provides different risks than other, um, other ones. You've mentioned your resume compared to his. Uh, do you think that it's going to be a, a different level of competition for him this weekend, something that he's not accustomed to? I mean, I think that he hasn't had the opportunity to fight the guys that I've had, and that's all it really is. You know, I've had the opportunity to fight world-class guys, world champions, title contenders, and, and guys of that nature, top five welterweights, and he just, you know, hasn't been in the division that long, and he's just now getting to the point where he's fighting. You know, this would be his second guy in the top five. So, you know, in my in my um, opinion, I feel like I'm more experienced. I feel like I've been here longer, and I feel like, you know, I got more tools than than, than Damian Maya had to, to present for him. So I think I don't think he's in in over his head, but I do think there are levels to it. And I think I'm on a different level. Your previous fight against Kamaru Usman, you've mentioned that in that fight, you felt like you weren't really there. We heard Cowboy Cerrone say the same kind of thing about his fight against Conor McGregor earlier this year. What kind of steps have you taken since then to make sure that that's not going to happen this time around? I mean... You never really know when it's going to happen because I had a lot going on against the Darren Till fight, a lot going on against the Robbie Lawler fight. I've had a lot going on in all my world title fights, but sometimes you just have that moment. I had one other time in my career when I fought Roy McGowan, I just felt like I was just there. You know, my body, I was telling it to go and it wouldn't go. And, um, you know, for me, I just did everything within my power, trying to block all distraction, all negativity, you know, just really refocusing, going back to the basics. And anything that I really didn't necessarily have to be doing at that moment during the camp, um, I just excluded. So for me, I put those things into my own hands, and hopefully that's going to turn out um, to a dominant performance. What have you done from a psychological perspective? I mean, losing a fight like that when you're the champion and losing your championship is obviously a very difficult thing for any competitor to overcome, uh, especially under this circumstance where you say that you just kind of weren't able to dial in on that particular night. Have you gone to sports psychologists? What what kind of steps have you taken uh, in that regard? You know, I was seeing a a regular psychologist just about life and just, um, you know, unpacking things in life and just trying to be able to just deal with certain things head on and also just be able to um, use different tools to be able to, you know, just be a different person in life and have the outcome that I want to have. So I've, I've seen sports psychologists as well, but in, in reality, I feel like it was just a lot going on, a lot on my plate, a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, a lot of stuff going on in my athletic life, 
and I had my hands in a lot of different pots. So um, I just put things on pause. I didn't step away from things I was doing. I just muted it for a second so I can go out here and kick some butt. Going back to before that fight, you said to him, how are you going to beat me? And when I unpacked that at the time, I thought that's a very interesting point. I mean, you're, you're a higher credentialed wrestler. You have more power than him. It was going to be interesting to see how he was going to be able to solve the puzzle that is Tyron Woodley. Uh, do you feel like in a rematch, we get to see, you know, all of the different things that make you you, that make you uh, one of the greatest welterweights to ever step into the cage? 100%. I think at 50%, I think me fighting at 50%, he would have had a hard time beating me just with, you know, being more creative with the striking, uh, more accomplished wrestler, heavier hands, um, the experience of fighting higher level guys more often, and then also just being in those five round fights more than he had. So I, I stand by that statement. Um, I asked how, how was he going to beat me? He could never beat me. You know, that was a version of me beating myself. I didn't show up. I didn't come out. I didn't fight. And whatever reason that happened, that's what I have to deal with. Kamar Usman can never beat me fighting, you know, fighting even not even at 100%. You know, I don't want to do percentages because people say Tyron said at 50% or Kamar said at 70%. You know, we get, we get, you know, joked around about that. But just, just in, just in layman's term, like me fighting at a level that I'm, I'm known to fight at, I don't think he has the tools to beat me. I wanted to get a reaction from you on some breaking news that just came down. Colby Covington has left American Top Team. Uh, I think the split happened uh, amicably, fair, at least fairly amicably. Uh, one of the issues, I guess, was that he was unable to continue um, doing interviews without having to speak about his teammates in a negative light. And I guess that is what caused the separation. Uh, what's your reaction to, to hearing about that? Yeah, I'm not fighting Kamar. I mean, I'm not fighting um, Colby Covington. Um, and I don't want to give him any attention. He has had every opportunity to fight me. So... I'm not going to give him my, my platform. I'm not going to give him my um, my week of fight week. Gilbert Burns, you know, the current champion and guys of that nature, I'm willing to talk about. But um, Kobe Covington is um, a mockery to the sport and to himself. I want to talk about some of the myths that surround you. Uh, I've, I've spoken to your, your manager, Abe Kawa, about this, that there's this these weird, I guess, narratives that have been creative, and I don't know how they got creative, uh, one of which is that you were an inactive champion. You know, from the time you won the belt to the time you lost the belt, you were the most active male champion in the UFC. At least the welterweight division was the most active championship division uh, in the UFC. Uh, how did these narratives get started and, uh, and, and this perception of you get, uh, you know, begin to form in the minds of uh, certain fans of the sport? Um, I don't know. I mean, you just said it there. The stats speak for themselves. I really don't have to speak much on that, but... Um... You know, you go back and look, and statistics will show that at one point in time, I was the most active. I had the belt for the longest amount of time out of current champions. And I was one of two people in the history of the sport that won, not just fought, fought and won four world title fights um, in less than a year. So um, people just in 2021 and 2020 and 19, 2019, these, these generation of fans, they don't do research. They just hear from someone and they go run with it. So... If somebody did a small Google search, they would have found out um, those facts were all false. And finally, this is obviously a massive fight for you against Gilbert Burns this weekend. Uh, in terms of the welterweight title picture, you know, they're saying that uh, Usman and Masvidal might not fight uh, this coming July. Do you feel like a big win over Burns here puts you right back uh, as, as next in line for the title shot against Kamaru Usman? 
definitely, I feel like a big win over Burns definitely puts me right there in the picture. So I'm focusing more so on the big fight and the big performance more than a world title fight. Um, that's the fight I want. But I, I think when you think about the next step, like I was thinking about fighting Kobe after I fought Usman and going up to fight middleweight. When you think too far down the road, I think you don't give the attention to the person that's in front of you. And that's very dangerous in this division. So I do think a victory over Gilbert Burns put me in that position. But I'm going to focus on fighting and beating him first. And then we'll talk Sunday about that. All right, Tyron, you're one of the best to ever do it. I appreciate your time and I look forward to seeing you face Gilbert Burns this weekend. All right, thank you. Appreciate you guys. It's Gilbert Dorino Burns taking on Tyron Woodley this Saturday on TSN UFC Fight Night. Gilbert, tell me about this particular fight against Tyron Woodley. Do you think this, this is the absolute highest level of competition that you've faced so far in your UFC career? Yeah, so far it is. I think we're going to have a couple more after this one. But as of right now, yeah, it's the biggest challenge that I have. Always the next one is always the biggest one. So as of right now, yes, that's the biggest one. How much has welterweight changed your life? I mean, you don't need to worry that much about cutting the weight. So you can take more fights. You can fight more often. And because you're taking more fights and winning those fights, you've suddenly become a top five welterweight. Yeah, though, bro, I feel good. I feel good at welterweight. I feel strong. And uh, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I think I was always a welterweight, always. But I was doing that crazy weight cut, lightweight, and... Uh, was affecting a lot of my performance. It was affecting the way to, to be more busy, get more fights. And now problem is solved. Now I need, I walk around, I wake up at 186. So I'm good to go. I have 15 pounds to cut that before you should have 25 pounds to cut a lot. So yeah, I'm good to go. Uh, welterweight has been good to me. I thought I can fight two weeks, three weeks. I'm always training, but uh, that will be my first time doing five rounds. I actually trained four five rounds twice before to get on the UFC, but I was able to finish the fight on the first round. But yeah, that was the only new thing will be five rounds. But yeah, welterweight, I love the welterweight division. You know, it's pretty incredible. A lot of people cut a, a large amount of weight so that they can be bigger for their division. But by the time they get into the cage, sometimes you can be tired. You can be worn out from, uh, from having to, to win the first fight, which is making the weight. Do you recommend to a lot of other fighters that they maybe move up, that, that that's a better situation for them? Uh, depends. Depends on the guy. I cannot speak for a lot of guys because the younger guys, when I was a little be below 30, it was easier for me to make it. 155 in that I was even sometimes I was 190 185 that was I could make no problem but after I passed to 30s it was harder and every time it was getting harder and harder but I don't know bro a lot of guys have a different type of body couple guys can cut the weight pretty easy couple guys suffer a little bit more like like me and my brother like I can speak for my brother because he don't sweat a lot it's hard for him to make it 45 but I sweat a lot. I can cut like 10 pounds, boom, one night, easy, no problem, just working out. So it's, a lot of guys have a different type of body, so I don't know. For me, it was good to go to all the way, but I guess a lot of guys are going to keep cutting weight until they can anymore, and they're going to eventually change the division. Do you think Herbert should move up to lightweight, or is he too small for lightweight? I think he will move. He will move. Not right now. I think he... I think he's still got a couple more weight cuts on him, maybe four or five more, but I believe he will be a lightweight soon. Now, I want to get a reaction from you because after your last fight, 
against Demian Maia. You called out Colby Covington. Now, today, Colby Covington came out and said he's left American top team. It was kind of an amicable split. Uh, what's your reaction to Colby Covington going out on his own, branching out uh, to start his own gym? Uh, he's training at MMA Masters. I knew already that he wasn't training at ATT. I know. I have a lot of friends like the 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 Florida. We know every you know everything about everybody, you know. And I know he was training at MMA Masters. I think he wanted to do his camp over there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The guy was talking a lot of crap, and I guess he was he needs to make those changes. You know, he's not welcome there anymore. I don't know, bro. I just focus on Tyron Woodley right now. I think that guy. I think I'm gonna fight. Like I said. I said a couple of times I'm gonna fight Tyron Woodley this year, and a lot of people was ah blah blah blah, you know that yeah blah blah blah. But I knew I was fighting Tyron Woodley this year, and I know I'm gonna fight Kobe. Uh, maybe not this year, but till next year I'm fighting Kobe for sure. To your knowledge, how long has he been training at MMA Masters for? Uh, I think over the month. Over a month, month and a half, I have a couple of friends that they say, hey, Kobe was there. They say, what he was doing there? They say, oh, he was just grappling with the, the I know the, the grappler coach is Daniel Valverde. And then he was grappling with Daniel. And then I say, but he was just grappling. They say, yeah, he's just grappling. I think he cannot punch. He got something on his hand. But he's grappling. He's going almost every day grappling with Daniel. He's, I heard that like over a month ago. So since the community in Florida is small and you hear things about fighters, Tyron Woodley used to train in Boca Raton. Do you have any secrets about Tyron that you're keeping uh, that you know about him going into this fight? Yeah, no, I have a lot of friends from Tyron Woodley. A lot of, a lot of friends on my reach out to me. I don't, I don't even reach out to people. They reach out to me. I train with these guys. It looks like this, this, and that, you know. Uh, and I, I, I saw a couple of things. He's saying, like, the way I see he thinks he won the fight already, you know. He thinks he's... He had a bad night on his mind, but it was a very bad night for him, his last fight. And I've been, I've been working hard, you know. I've been doing my fights, I've been doing my job, and uh, I can't wait for Saturday. But he, I think he's underestimated me so much that I'm gonna shock him by the first, second round. He's gonna be like, "Oh, that guy's gonna keep coming," you know. Like uh, I can't wait. I just know a lot of things, a lot of. I have a lot of friends, all the jiu-jitsu community, they're my friends, they're on my side, they, they talk to me a lot of things. Kamar gave me a great insight of, of Tyron Woodley, and a lot of other guys too. Uh, I, I have a, a good, like, uh, I know a lot of six from Tyron Woodley. And finally, this is the question that I saved for last, the most important question. You've been in love with the, uh, the meme, with the, uh, the pallbearers from Ghana. And I was wondering, and I asked you about this on Twitter, will you be coming out to that music that they play uh, on the meme with the pallbearers? No, no. People are going to get sad about it, but no, I'm coming for my, for my Brazilian music that is like, uh, either, I like that music so much because it was awesome. all my growing up career and the, the singers from my city. Uh, we have a little history. I know the guy a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'm coming to my normal music, normal workout. People are going to get mad about it, sad about it, crazy about it, but yeah, but not. Well, Gilbert, I understand, but I'm disappointed. <laughs> I know, a lot of people will be. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Gilbert, I appreciate your time. Best of luck against Tyron Woodley. A huge, huge step for you in your career at the welterweight division. With the win, you're going to be right in position for a title fight, so I wish you all the best. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you, brother. Have a good one. That was Dorino Gilbert Burns looking to make his way to the top of the welterweight division when he faces Tyron Woodley tomorrow night at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, that's all for us this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be really heavily breaking down UFC 250. I'll have Amanda Nunes on the show. Uh, hopefully have uh, some uh, sound from a feature that I'm working on with uh, Felicia Spencer as well. This is going to be a, an interesting fight week in terms of the future of Canadian MMA. We could have a, another Canadian mixed martial arts champion in Felicia Spencer. And I honestly think Felicia Spencer has a good shot of winning this fight. Uh, the, the odds don't indicate that, but I'll, I'll get into that in next week's show as to why I think Felicia Spencer could give uh, some issues to Amanda Nunes in this particular fight, give her looks that she's not uh, accustomed to. So we'll, we'll unpack that on next week's show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with another edition of the TSN MMA show sometime next week.